It's a joy for uh, Sharon and I to, to worship with you here in this Garland Church. We feel special kinship to the Garland Church because a number of years ago, someone from the Garland Church became special friends of ours. Her name was Molly Hilton. And some of you may know Molly, but Molly and Keith there at Southwestern uh, fell in love and they came to my office there as counselor and I did their premarital counseling and their wedding. And it was a great joy. In fact, it was interesting as I uh, counseled with them and I was done counseling and then we were talking about the wedding and uh, I said, well, how many attendants are you going to have? And Molly said, oh, 12. You should have seen Keith's face. How am I going to come up with 12 guys? <laughs> but he did, and it was a wonderful wedding. So, uh, uh, like I said, we have a special kinship to the Garland Church. I'll tell you a little bit about our family. I have one daughter and one son and one wife. Uh, our, our daughter lives up in Bozeman, Montana. Uh, she plays violin and, and piano and organ a lot. She'll sometimes play for a Jewish synagogue on Friday night, for the academy there on Sabbath morning, and Sunday for a congregational church. She also writes books on nature and teaches at Montana State University Creative Writing. Her husband... Uh, teaches English and Spanish at the, our academy up there, Mount Ellis Academy. They have two adorable children, Peter, nine, and Sylvie, who was seven yesterday on her birthday. Uh, it's cold country. In fact, in Bozeman, they have a saying, they have nine months of winter and three months of relatives. <laughs> and we're some of the relatives that go up there in the summer when it's really quite nice. Uh, our son... Uh, and his wife live in Walla Walla, Washington. They are both doctors, and they have two adorable daughters, uh, uh, Audrey, who's 13, and Lucy, who's 8. And so we're very proud of them. I have just one wife, and we've been married 52 years. And Sharon and I uh, met back at Southwestern. Uh, Sharon, for years, has been in public relations and development, fundraising, communications, both at Southwestern University, where she was vice president, and also in private business. I started out in Florida in the ministry as a pastor, uh, became an academy pastor there at Forest Lake Academy and Campion Academy in Colorado, and then for over 20 years was at Southwestern Adventist University, where we met Molly and Keith, where I did premarital counseling and career counseling, and also taught some, Life and Teachings of Jesus, and... Uh, uh, also uh, courtship and marriage and racquetball. Uh, in the last uh, several years, I've uh, been able to do a lot of home health chaplaincy for people in nursing homes and hospitals and during my retirement, and that's very rewarding. Uh, so uh, it's a joy to be with you today as we open God's Word. Let's bow our heads. Gracious Father in heaven, what a joy it is to come into your house and to worship. And as we open your word, we pray that you will open our hearts and our minds to what you would have us to know. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. It was my senior year at Southwestern. I had been dating this person, Sharon, for several weeks. My dad, who tended to be a very assertive person, 
He was a conference president and union president, and he was very assertive. He came up to me one day and he said, Benji, have you told her? And I said, told her what? He said, told her what she wants to hear. I said, what she want to hear? He said, Benji, you don't know what she wants to hear? She wants to hear that you love her. Have you told her that you love her? My immediate inclination is to say, Dad, none of your business. I'll tell her when I'm ready and not you. But I said, Dad, no, I've just been dating her a few weeks. Some guys, they, the first date they're saying, I love you, Myrtle, and I can't live without you. They hardly know Myrtle. I'm not ready to do that yet. He says, son, you have a fine person there. Get this thing nailed down. I said, I don't need to nail down anything yet. So it was several weeks later, and we were headed down to Houston for a youth rally. Our family was, and we invited Sharon to come for the weekend. So in the front seat were my dad driving, my mom over here, my kid sister Lori, who was six years old at the time, in the middle. In the back is my brother Jonathan and Sharon and me, and we're playing an innocent table game of Jeopardy. And then Lori turns around, and she says, Hey, Benji, do you love Sharon? And my dad, who I think put her up to this, said, what an insightful question for a six-year-old. Benji, tell the whole family. Do you love Sharon? Ah. And I don't want to say, no, I don't love Sharon. And I don't want to say, yes, I love Sharon. That's not Moonlight and Roses romance, the response to a kid sister's question. I just want to get out of the car, except we're going 70 miles an hour down Interstate 45. What am I going to do? So I'm just quiet, hoping it'll go away. It doesn't. She turns around and goes, I really want to know. Do you love Sharon? My dad says, yes, we all need to know. And then finally it came to me, the perfect answer. I said, Lori, I love everybody. Because as Christians, you got to love everybody if you want to see Jesus. Don't you know that song? She says, that's right. And I said, I love Uncle Clem. I love Aunt Nanny. I love our dog Lady. I love Sharon. I love you. I just love everybody. My dad says, that's not what we wanted to hear. I said, that's all you're going to hear. I love everybody, Sharon included. Now, folks, we throw this word love around loosely, right? Especially Valentine's time. We throw it around loosely. I love Fettuccine Alfredo. I love my pet gerbils. I love the Dallas Cowboys until that last game. I love, I love, I love. And as Christians, it is important to love, right? By this shall all men know you're my disciples if you what? Love one another. That's how you know you're disciples if you love one another. So let's take a look this morning at what Jesus has to say about love. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Luke 10? Luke 10. And I'll be reading from verse 25. Luke 10, verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test. I used to have students come into my office. These mean teachers, they keep giving us tests. Can't you get them to quit? Well, Jesus was always giving te- being tested, right? 
And here's a lawyer puts Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What's written in the law? How do you read? And the man answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Are we to love ourselves? Yes, according to Jesus. Not this narcissistic looking in the mirror, oh, you beautiful thing, but remembering that Jesus paid the ultimate price on the cross for us. And that's what our self-esteem should be based on, what Jesus did for us on the cross. But we should love ourselves, our neighbors, and God. Jesus said to him, you've answered right, do this and you will live. But what word did Jesus use? Because in the original, you know the the, uh, Bible wasn't written in English or Spanish, right? It's Hebrew in the Old Testament and Greek in the New Testament. Jesus could, could have used one of three words for love. Here's one right here. See it? Here are the Greek, epsilon, rho, omicron, sigma. Omicron? Have anyone here heard of omicron lately? What a shame. I feel sorry for Greek letters. It's not their fault, this whole COVID business, but they're using Greek letters. This is a four-letter word. It is not a dirty word. It is simply the physical expression of love that who created God not the devil the devil has come along and there's erotic magazines and movies but God created this don't get down on this form of love folks none of us would be here without it it's beautiful it's what God created but Sharon and I used to teach a uh, marriage preparation seminar called all you fit to be tied And what we told those young people that were engaged is if you save this form of love for when God intended it, and that is within the commitment of marriage, you stand twice the chance of success in marriage than if you don't. Done God's way. Here is another word for love. It's a beautiful word. It's a a nice word for love. I can get it open here. This is Philos. See it? Philos. You ever heard of the city of brotherly love? What's that? Philadelphia. Right. Where a number of years ago, I don't know if you're aware, there was a mayor who was a Seventh-day Adventist, James Street. Now, it's not gone real well in the city of brotherly love lately, and crime last year was the highest in 40 years in the city of brotherly love. But uh, this is a beautiful word. And how could it best be defined? It was a student down at Forest Lake Academy came into my office and he said, have you heard, have you noticed that I've been around this girl Terry a lot lately? I said, yes, I tend to notice these things. He said, well, I'm going to tell you something. She bakes cookies for me. She admires my muscles and they aren't that big. She comes to my basketball games. He said, do you know what? I said, what? He said, I think I'm falling in like. 
And I said, Mark, I think you are. You know, life is good when you fall in like. Uh, as I got to know Molly and Keith, it was wonderful to fall in like. When you fall in like, you, you say nice things to them, they say nice things to do you, you, you do nice things for them, they do nice things for you. It's a beautiful thing when you fall in like, isn't it? It's a nice thing. Will Rogers, the great American humorist, once said, I never met a man I didn't like. He hasn't met some of the people I met. I can't say that, folks. I never met a man I didn't like. <laughs> I met some... Oh. And, and, and you know, Will Rogers' son once clarified his dad's statement. He said, what my dad said was I never met a man I didn't like. Once he got to know some of those rascals, he didn't like him at all. I know my dad. He didn't like him at all. And Jesus never said, by this shall all men know you're my disciples if you like one another. This is the word that he used. Possibly heard this before. Agape. What is that? I think I best saw it defined on a refrigerator wall in Rifle, Colorado. We were on a choir trip. I was with the choir. And there on the refrigerator wall, it said it in four words. Love is a decision. A decision what? A decision first to believe that the old, old story of Jesus and his love is true. It's not a fable, it's true. And then to decide to treat people as Jesus would treat them, whether you like them or not. A decision. Sometimes we think of Christian love as a feeling. You ever heard this? I felt so close to God during that revival, during that camp meeting, during that week of prayer. And now it's over, and where'd he go? Did he go anywhere? No, he didn't go anywhere. We sometimes, our feelings change. But love is a decision best exemplified by Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Did he feel like going to the cross He said, Lord, if possible, let this cup pass from me. He did not feel like going to the cross, but he decided to go because that was our only hope for salvation. He decided to go, and he asked us to love by our decisions every day. And so this lawyer says, well, then who do I have to love? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus, as he so often did, told a story. I do not apologize for telling stories in a sermon because that was Jesus' method. We call them parables. They're stories. And Jesus told a story about a man on the way from Jerusalem, he says, down to Jericho. Jerusalem, 2,500 feet above sea level. Jericho, one of the lowest elevation cities in the world, 800 feet below sea level. In fact, we can learn some about Jesus' example for us that something sometimes we don't even think about. In the story of Zacchaeus, Jesus was with Zacchaeus in Jericho. And right the next verse, it says, Jesus is near Jerusalem. 
So how did he get from Jericho to Jerusalem, 3,300 foot elevation gain? Helicopter? Cable cars? How'd he get up there? The Jericho Road, he walked, or we might say hiked, up the Jericho Road. One biblical historian has calculated that in Jesus' ministry, just the three and a half years, as you figure out all his trips, he walked over 2,500 miles. And that's just the recorded incidents in the Gospels. So I believe Jesus is an example to us in exercise because the Holy Spirit can work on us better if our minds are clear. And that's a good way to have our minds clear is by getting regular exercise. I really believe that. He's primarily our example in character, but I believe he is in exercise because he walked so much. He took a donkey once, but most of the time he walked, right? Okay, this man is on the way from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and you are told on the Jericho Road or the Wadi Kelt not to go by yourself. Go with somebody else. Behind those big boulders, there could be robbers. Go with someone else, preferably go with several people. But one man went by himself, and robbers came out, beat him up, left him bleeding and broken by the side of the road. Then Jesus says, along comes a priest. Priests were God's pets. <laughs> God loved them best. <laughs> to show to everybody God loved them best, they wore phylacteries. You know, phylacteries were, they were made of parchment. They wore them on their foreheads and on their arms, and they would inscribe words from the scriptures that they claimed to be keeping. In fact, Jesus scolded them once for broadening their phylacteries up their foreheads. So along comes a priest, likely singing, Teach us to love, Lord, better each day. <sighs> this guy's had a hard day. Somebody's got to help him, or he's going to be pushing up. But I can't, I can't even tell if he's a Jew with all that blood all over him. And, and even if it's a Jew and I touch him and he's dead, then I'll become unclean. And besides, behind those boulders, the robbers still may be hiding. They, God wouldn't want them to get one of God's pets. Little children, let us love not in word or in speech, but in deed and in truth. Love is a decision. He heads down the road. Along comes a Levite. Levites took care of the temple. And they were professional Sabbath keepers. 1,563 minor laws in the Mishnah, 39 major laws in the Mishnah. They kept them all meticulously. Like you couldn't write two letters on the Sabbath, only one. Two was work. You couldn't eat an egg legged by a chicken on the Sabbath because the chicken worked. You could not spit on the Sabbath because that was irrit irrigating a piece of grass, causing it to grow. My favorite was the Sabbath day's journey. You could not travel any more than two-thirds of a mile from your home on the Sabbath or you'd be breaking the Sabbath. Some of you have already broken the Sabbath today. We have big time. <laughs> but there's always a loophole. There's always a loophole. And so... Home was defined as where you ate in a broad sense. And so on the day before the Sabbath, they would send 
a servant out about two-thirds of a mile to hide a stash of food. So the Levite would get up on Sabbath morning. Oh, what a beautiful Sabbath day. Praise the Lord. Go two-thirds of a mile, look down. Food. That eat the food. I'm home. I'm home. Now what can you do? Go another two-thirds of a mile, right? Till another miracle. They found more food. Praise the Lord. Go another two-thirds of a mile go wherever they wanted to go and get back and feel very sanctimonious about the whole thing. They never broke the Sabbath. So along comes a Levite, likely singing, Don't forget the Sabbath, the day the Lord... Oh. Where's the Salvation Army when you really need him? I mean, it's, oh, dear. Oh. I ought to help him, but i got to get the temple ready for the Sabbath, but... Who's going to help? And he left. Little children, let us love not in word or in speech, but in deed and in truth. Love is a decision. And then along comes a Samaritan. And when Jesus says this word Samaritan, you can feel this throbbing. Boo! Yes! They hated Samaritans. They weren't pure Jews. They were part Jews, but they weren't pure. And the pagans didn't accept Samaritans because they were part Jews. Nobody has accepted Samaritans. In fact, the Jews had a saying, he who eats the bread of Samaritans is as he who eats the flesh of swine. You know what Jews felt about eating swine? Pigs? Just like good Adventists do. We don't do that. No, no, no. He who eats the bread of Samaritans as he as eats the flesh of swine. Along comes a Samaritan. The Samaritan looks. The Samaritan didn't just look. He bent down on his knees. He has some oil and wine with him. You know what that was? The first aid kit of those days. Isn't it interesting? He carried the first aid kit with him. You think he's done this before? He carries this first aid kit with him. He nurses this man, puts him up on his donkey, takes him into town, and says, Sir, any more expenses, and I'll pay them when I come back through. And then Jesus looked at the lawyer and said, Who agaped? Who agaped? And, and, the, and the lawyer won't even say the term Samaritan. He says, Well, he who he who, who cared for him. Now, I call the Samaritan's love dynamite love. You know why? Because dynamite's return, kind of TNT, right? TNT. He loved with his treasure. He, two denarii, for the, two full day's wages for this total stranger, two denarii, that he was willing to give and willing to give more if he, they needed more when he came back through. He loved with his treasure. Now, money is nice. Most of us aren't allergic to money. And money can do a lot of things. Money can buy us an airline ticket to New Orleans. There's some people that want to go to New Orleans. That costs some money. More money and you get to New York City. Even more money, you can get to New Zealand 
Our daughter was a student missionary over in one of the most beautiful countries in the world, on the other side of the world. It takes a lot of money. Can money get us to New Jerusalem? Money can't get us there. Jesus paid that price on the cross for us. Money can do a lot of things. It can't do everything. If, if there were be a Vespers this evening at 6 o'clock and, and uh, you were to say, everybody who comes out gets $1,000, would there be a good turnout? Yeah, yeah, be a good turnout. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, money can do a lot of things, but it can't do everything. Our daughter... She tended to get around a lot, and she went for one year in college over to Nouveau College in England. And we went over there to visit her with our son, VJ, who was just in high school or academy at the time. And one day she was in her classes, and Sharon and I went over to uh, go through one of, the, one of the many castles of the royal family, Windsor Palace. And then after we went through Windsor Palace, we wandered over into Eton. You ever heard of Eton? Uh, a lot of people in America haven't heard of Eton. Everybody in England knows Eton. Eton. They call it Eton College. It's really a high school for the richest boys in England. Mick Jagger, ever heard of him? His son went there. And he, yeah, so it, it is some place, Eton. And when we get into Eton, we start, <laughs> it's a strange sight. Boys, teenage boys dressed in tuxedos. Some of them with flowered arrangements on their heads. So, and lots of photographers. So I'm thinking, well, what's going on here? And so I asked one of the photographers, what's, what's going on? He said, you don't know? I said, no. He says, it's Parents' Day. And the seniors are the ones with the flowered arrangements on their head. I said, wow. I said, well, why so many photographers? He said, you don't know? I said, no, I don't know. He said, Charles and Diana have come separately to see their son William, who's 13 here at Eton. I said, really? He said, yes. And you see the photographers gathered over there? Those arches, Charles and Diana, are to come out. And we all want to get a picture. Now, friends, I hate to admit it, but I joined the paparazzi. (laughs) I had our our home movie camera. A chance to get a home movie of Charles and Diana. <laughs> and so I got it. And these guys are pushy. These photographers. I mean, these long lenses. And I put mine on full zoom. And sure enough, out she came. Out he came separately. She gives him a little peck on the cheek. And then she gets in and drives off her Rolls Royce. And he gets in. And someone drives him a Mercedes. Um, and here's, it's a, the paper's getting old. I mean, these were really zoom lenses. Uh, and and uh, you notice what it says, if only one reporter talked with uh, Prince William. You know what he said? He said, if only mommy and daddy, or mommy and daddy would get back together again, I'd give up all our castles. I'd give up the right to be king of England if just mommy and daddy could get back together again. They didn't. And that was their last kiss. Not long after that, she was tragically killed. Money can do a lot of things. It can't guarantee a great marriage, a good marriage. 
Ask Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, Brad Pitt. Lots of money, not necessarily a good marriage. Marriage is falling apart. The same week that Diana was killed, another world-famous woman died. Any of you know who it was? Somebody knows. Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa was killed that, or died that week. And it got drowned out in all the publicity about Diana, but Mother Teresa died that week. Mother Teresa, ministering to the poor and the help and the homeless there in the streets of Calcutta, uh, she, she won the Nobel Peace Prize one year, and with it, $190,000. What would you do with 190000 Tithe it? I'm not tithing. Double tithe it? Give some for the New Orleans trip? You know what she did? She gave every penny to go to help those who are starving and helpless on the streets of Calcutta. Love is a decision what you do with your treasure. Love is a decision also what you do with your time. The Samaritan was willing to give of his time, right? Yeah, while the priest and the Levite, they were just too busy, he was willing to give of his time. Time, unlike treasure, we all have the same as far as in segments, right? The Pope of Rome, the President of the United States, the Governor of Texas, you and I all have 24 hours a day, 168 hours a week, till that comes that week when we don't get our full 168 hours. We never know when that week might be. For any of us, it could be this week. But until then, we all have 24 hours a day, 168 hours a week. Do we hoard it to ourselves? Are we willing to give some of our time by our decisions to help others as Jesus did? That is the question. When I was in the ninth grade, I went into Fort Worth Junior Academy. And it was, I was a new student, but one student really stood out. His name was Jimmy, and he was a dwarf. Do you know the difference in a dwarf and a midget? A dwarf, well, a midget is a little person, but they're perfectly proportioned. Their head, their body trunk, their limbs. But a dwarf has had genetic damage. A dwarf usually has a very large head and a normal body trunk, but little short legs and little short arms. They look real different, and Jimmy was different. He looked different, and because he was different, guys picked on him, made fun of him, called him names. You ever heard of the sport of dwarf tossing? There actually is such a thing. And some of the guys would take him and throw him around. I mean, he couldn't play sports like other guys. Imagine him trying to play basketball football. There was a sport he liked. It's called Foursquare. Ever heard of Foursquare? Foursquare, you just simply draw four squares on the playground with a ball like a soccer ball or a basketball, and you hit it into the other person's square or this person's square. And Jimmy was pretty good at that because you didn't have to run. You could stay in one place and move, maneuver the ball around. He was pretty good. There was that one day, never forget it, he was there ready to play four square with the ball by himself. The girls had a volleyball game going, 
and the guys had a football game going. I was in that football game, and Harold, as usual, was leading his team to victory. Harold had the brains to call the plays, the athletic ability to execute the plays. If you were on Harold's side, you would win. You wanted to be on Harold's side. And so we're playing football, and Jimmy's over there by himself, and then Harold stops. He says, do you see what's happening? He says, Jimmy's over there by himself. He says, I'm going to go over and join him. And the guys say, Harold, we need you here. Harold says, but Jimmy needs me more. I'm going to go play with him. So he goes over to Jimmy. He says, Jimmy, it's not a lot, but let's play two square. And they got a two square game going. After a while, several guys left that game of football. Now there's four square. And after a while, there's a line. I was in that line to play four square with Jimmy. But Harold led the way by his decision. And maybe because he did, Jimmy developed some self-esteem. And he, he finished academy in college, and he got a job out in Los Angeles as a court clerk. And there, wherever he could, he witnessed for his faith. Any number of celebrities out in Los Angeles. He showed me this picture once of him and O.J. Simpson. Ever heard of him? Yeah, okay, well, he witnessed O.J. Here's Michael Landon. Some of you old-timers might remember him. Bonanza, the biggest show on TV for a while. And uh, uh, Little House on the Prairie. If you were to see this picture closely, Michael Landon has a cigarette in his hand. Not long after this, Michael Landon ended up in the hospital with lung cancer, dying with lung cancer. You know who decided to go to the hospital to visit him? Jimmy. He shared his love for the Lord with Michael Landon as Michael Landon died. Love is a decision. And Harold was voted most likely to succeed. Going to be a doctor someday and went to Walla Walla. Then one summer at the Rosario Beach uh, there on the Pacific Ocean at their marine station, Harold went diving and never came up. Harold did not live to 20. And he was voted most likely to succeed. And he did. Because it's not how long you live. It's how well you live. And how well you love through the power of Jesus in your life. The Lord will take care of the length factor in a better land. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we're so thankful that long ago the Samaritan was willing to stop. By his decision, showed his care and concern for this poor man. Lord, I know that someday in the clouds of glory, in a better land, we'll be able to embrace Jesus and thank him for what he did on the cross. There'll be a lot of emotion at that time. But until that time, Lord, help us to love not just in our feelings, but our decisions every day to show people what Jesus is like. In his name we pray. Amen.